Have you ever felt like uh, you, you work hard, yet it, it seems like your hard work goes nowhere? Where you have that, at least a little bit of a sense of being undervalued, underpaid, and even unnecessary. I think some of us have felt that in different parts of our lives, or that maybe that's where you're at right now. Where, in a, in a way, your life is sort of defined by this phrase, not much. Nobody going nowhere. Maybe some of us feel that, and I have a sense that several of us probably feel that or think that on a regular basis, where um, uh, invariably you, you look in the mirror and you ask the question, do I even matter to anybody? Uh, does anybody really know me or care about me? And the beautiful thing is, is that God actually has answers to that in his scriptures, in an ancient piece of literature in the Psalms, the book of Psalms. And I read it earlier from Psalm 62, but we're going to be looking at Psalm 139. And over the next six weeks, we're going to be digging into this psalm, and I want to encourage you uh, to really take time, uh, either individually, perhaps as a family, maybe, I know some of the community groups are meeting during the summer, uh, maybe before you go through, do your barbecue, that you read the passage that we're uh, on for the week. Because what we're going to do over the six weeks, we're going to go in sequence. So, for example, this morning, I'm going to go through verses 1 through 3, and then next week we'll go through verses 4 through 6. And it's just, I think it would be a wonderful time for our church community this summer as we dive into this very, very personal, if not the most personal psalm in the entire Bible. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Psalm 139. And I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Um, otherwise, you can pull it up on your Bible app, or you can follow along with the slides behind me. Psalm 139, written by King David. Let me pray before we jump in. Father God, I give this message to you. And God, thank you for this beautiful piece of literature, Psalm 139. And there is so much in here. And God, I ask that you speak to us in, in ways uh, that perhaps that we have not sensed from you before. God, this whole psalm is about knowing and knowing you and help us um, to realize that we never really reach that. We never get to a plateau like we know everything about God, uh, whether we're new to faith or we've been a Christian for 40 years. Uh, so God, this, this is sort of a, a door that's opening to us for us to walk through and come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to read just the first sort of uh, several verses, even though we're focusing on the first three verses. I want to kind of, for us to sort of get this, um, in a sense, on our palate of, of what Psalm 139 is like, what it tastes like. O oh Lord, you've examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. I mean, right out of the gate, David is very, very clear. You know what I'm going to say, even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand, a blessing on my head. And that's a visual, actually, where a father would actually, a, a Jewish father would actually place uh, his hands on his son or daughter's uh, head or shoulders and pray the prayer of blessing from Numbers. Uh, you know, God go before them and, and so on and so forth. So that's a very important uh, a verse there. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can, I can never get away from your presence. 
It almost seems on the surface like, and I, I say this tongue-in-cheek, sort of like a God who stalks us. You know, I mean, he knows everything about us. And as you read about this, I want you to dial in on the, the operative word, kind of the generator for Psalm 139 is the word know. Um, in the Hebrew, it's yadaya, yadaya. Uh, it reads in the English as yada. Maybe that's where in Seinfeld, yada, yada, yada. Maybe that's where it came from. I'm not sure. But yadaya, it means to know. It means to understand completely. And not only that, it means also to see. That's why we, we pick it up in verse 3 where, where David says, you know, he talks about to know, to know, to know. He mentions it um, in, some, in some translations it's eight times, six times in, our, in NLT. But it it's runs all the way through that, that psalm is to know, to know what God knows about us and the details he knows about us. Um, but, but as David talks about that, then he's, in verse 3 he says, you see as well. Because it's not just knowing sort of the facts, cognitive, and I'm going to talk about that a little later on, but also it's to see, it's to understand completely the entire personhood. That's what David's saying, is that you know me completely, mentally, physically, emotionally, um, knows everything about me, knows everything about me. So I'm going to reread verses 1 through 3. Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. So just a little, if you want to draw on your Bible, a little circle around, you know everything about me in verse 1, and then in verse 3, you know everything that I do. Those are like, that's like the frame. Take a, you know, circle both of those and draw a line around them. They frame verses 1 through 3, Okay? You know everything about me, and you know everything I do. This is a God who knows. That's what David is getting across. This is a God who knows. And, you know, this is my own little opinion or something, because I know at least when I write, you know, you go through a few drafts, and you write, and then you come back to the beginning of what you're writing, and perhaps in a letter or an email or something, and then you add something in the beginning. I'm not... I'm not sure, it's my own opinion, this is a gospel according to Craig, uh, that, that I think he writes this, and he comes back to verse 1, and he says, Oh, Lord. I think after he writes all this, he's like, in the, our colloquial, Wow, God. Wow. Okay, this is no small stuff. What he's talking about here is staggering, Okay. I, I think David's like, he goes right, right, right through this, and it's like, wow, God. Have you had a wow experience in your life? You ever had an experience in your life like that? Several years ago, I was on vacation with some buddies of mine, and I, I, I caught a five-pound walleye. Okay? Some of you guys are like, that, that's it? Five-pound walleye. That was, for me, like a wow experience. I never caught a walleye before, and that's my favorite fish. And so later on, we cooked it, and I was eating it, and, and one of the guys was a great cook, made in a really, really special way, and I'm just eating that while I'm like, wow. It's a wow experience. And David's having this wow experience as he really understands, sort of looks at his words and what he's saying about God, okay? Because in the Hebrew mind, deep embedded in their bones is the understanding that of a God who is the maker of heaven and earth. 
So he's writing about the fact that God knows us at such detail. At the same time, he's the maker of heaven and earth. And sometimes I think we got to step out of our planet, so to speak, and kind of look at, in, in the science world, astronomy, just how vast and how big our galaxy and the stars and everything is. And for me, uh, I try to, on a regular basis, just watch some video from NASA just to be reminded how big and how large and transcendent our God is. And here's a video from NASA with still images put together. Kind of like waiting for the Starship Enterprise to come flying across there. But, it, yeah, this is, this is a God who is the maker of heaven and earth. And he's, he reminds us of this, I think, among probably the four most beautiful chapters, sort of autobiographical about God. If you want to know some more about God, and I encourage you in this series to do that, uh, Job 38 through 42, God just kind of lays out the cards and he says, this is who I am, because Job is kind of questioning him and saying, you know, what kind of power do you have? And, and I'm going through a really hard time. Do you, do you really have the, the power to help me? I mean, he starts to question God, and God answers him. For example, in, in chapter 38, verses 31 through 33, you don't have to turn to this, but as we saw in the space, this ties in directly. Can you direct the movement of the stars, the binding the, the cluster of the Pleiades, or loosening the cords of, the, of Orion, these constellations? Can you direct the constellations to the seasons, or guide the bear, another constellation, with their cubs across the heavens? Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? And when you think about that, that God does this and has that kind of transcendent power and greatness, and at the same time, he examines our hearts and he knows everything about us. It has to lead you to like, whoa, oh Lord, wow, God. In your teaching notes, the first fill in the blank is yet he even knows me. In light of that, in light of the universe, his greatness, yet he even knows me. Puny little Craig Case, in my little small life, insignificant life, he even knows me. He takes the time to even know me. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been kind of uh, thinking about this passage and praying through it, and a couple of questions emerged for me is the why question and the how. The why. Why does, why does God take the time to bother to, to really know me? To yadaya me? To know me completely? To understand everything about my life? Everything past, present, future he knows about me? Well, first of all, it brings glory to God. 
in your teaching notes, you can fill that in. The first uh, answer to the why is that because it brings glory to God. Isaiah 43, 6 through 7 says this. And this is God speaking. He says, I will say to the north and south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel and from the distant corners of the earth. So you, you see right away that personal relationship he has with his people. He says, bring all who claim me as their God. Bring all who claim me as their God. And here it is. For I have made them for my glory. That's the primary purpose of the creation of humanity, okay? Is it brings glory to God. Underline that in your, in your Bibles or in your teaching notes. For I have made them for my glory. Now, the, when we say glorifying God or bringing glory to God, we throw that around church, and, and, and some of us have no idea what that really means. And some of us have been church for a long time. We still don't know what that really means. And why that's one of can I give you a definition from a, a scholar and a writer that says that glorifying means feeling and thinking and acting in a way that reflects God's greatness. In short, it's where we make much of God. It's where we put God's name up in lights through the way we think and act. And the fact that when he knows us and knows humanity, it puts his name up in lights in a way. Uh, the night of the, of the shootings in Dallas, I saw the picture of Dallas where they had these, these, these blue lights in the, sky, the skyscrapers as a way of remembrance of those five, five police officers. In a, in a way, it's putting God's name up in, in lights. That's what it means to glorify God, to make much of him. For example, in Exodus 14, you don't need to turn to this. I'm going to summarize it. But the Israelites are on the run. Pharaoh and his, his Egypt, Egyptian army are chasing uh, Moses and the Israelites. And obviously they're outnumbered. Uh, Pharaoh is very powerful, big army. They're on the chariots and the horses. And, and, and the Israelites simply have sandals and they're running. But then God does something very, very illogical like he does. Uh, he says, go to this certain part of the place in this wilderness which meant for them, because they're running in a certain direction, to actually go backward. And Pharaoh and the Egyptians are coming this way. Go, go backward. What? <laughs> I'm sure Moses is like, are you crazy? He goes, no, go, go backward, because um, I'm going to show my glory. I'm going to show Pharaoh and the Egyptians my glory. So they do that. And then pretty soon they're, they're, they're caught by the Red Sea. And, and then God gives the instructions of the, the famous scene uh, with Charleston Heston, uh, he says, where God says, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. And he says this two times in this passage, I will get glory over Pharaoh. And he says later on, when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. He says it over and over in that passage in, in, in Exodus 14, I will get glory. God desires, he seeks his glory and his purpose in creation, creating humanity and knowing us is that it brings glory to his name. It makes much of God. Next, the next answer to the why question is because you matter to God. You might sort of feel like what I said about being puny and insignificant, but you need to know you matter to God. Later on in Isaiah chapter 49, I just love this passage. God says in verse 16, See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. 
I have written your names on the palms of my hands. It's sort of a foreshadowing of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ where he's going to have spikes go through his palms. But the fact is, is that God loves us so much, you matter so much to him, is that he has written your names, your name on the palms of his hands. And one of our deepest needs, isn't it, is to feel secure, to feel valuable, that we actually matter to someone. And because of this, we, we tend to constantly compare and evaluate ourselves. We do this consciously and unconsciously. And we judge ourselves by the standards of the world, four different standards. And this comes from Rick Warren. I love this. Where we compare and evaluate appear, by appearance. How do I look? So we think that by, with this standard that our self-worth, our self-esteem, how much we matter will actually increase or get better by the way we look. This mentality says that the more beautiful you are, the more important you are, the more valuable you are, the more you matter. Second, affluence. If I own a lot, then I must really matter. Third, achievement. It's where we base our value on awards, on successes, on promotions. We matter because the achievements that we have. We matter because of uh, what we're able to um, gain, perhaps in athletics or in music or theater. And that's something I think important for our students to understand, is that your self-worth is not based on that. Approval. How many people like me? You know, that, that's, that's how, I, how I really know if I matter, is how many people like me. The problem with this sort of system or these standards, they don't last. They're not stable. Sorry to say, your beauty is going to fade, okay? Your beauty is going to fade. Your possessions are going to wear out at some time. That new car smell is going to go away. Also, at some point, somebody is going to break your records or pass up your successes, your achievements. They're not going to last. Also, you're going to have people that, that don't like you. That was, I think, one of the the biggest steps for me in ministry and preaching is to understand that there's going to be people that don't like me, and I I really can't do anything about that. Um, In fact, you might have somebody in your row right now that doesn't like you. They may be sitting right next to you. Okay? That's a conversation for another time. (laughs) But studies show that our our worth, uh, this feeling of of how much we, we matter... Um, is, so, is so based on what we think about the, the people who, who in, our, in our lives. And especially the people that we feel like the, the important people in our lives, our best friends, and what they think about us tends to really lift up and support um, our self-worth, our self-esteem, um, how much we matter. I want to encourage you this morning, I want to encourage you this summer to make God the most important person in your life. Because he has written the names, your name, on the palms of his hands. And, and he knows you. He yadayas you. He knows you completely. I love this phrase, this, this quote by William Tamas. He says this, You don't really understand human nature unless you know why a child on a merry-go-round will wave at his parents every time around and why his parents will always wave back. The question I want to ask you this morning is, who do you wave to on this merry-go-round of life? 
Who are you waving to? You know, we're going to have loved ones who come and go in our lives. But God will always stand there and smile, and he will wave to you on this merry-go-round of life. He has written your name on the palms of his hands. You matter to God. You matter to God. And when you come to that realization, I think it causes you to say, Oh, Lord, wow, God, with everything in this universe, that I matter to you, that I actually matter to you. All right, let's move into the how. A couple of responses to the how. How does he know us? Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart. You know everything about me. You know when I sit down or, or when I stand up. You know my thoughts, even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do, okay? So in, in a certain sense, on, on one aspect, the how, how does he know us? He knows us cognitively. He knows the facts of our lives. He knows our hobbies. He knows our likes, our dislikes. He knows sort of the details of our lives. And as a result, we can't really hide from God. We can't hide those aspects of our lives, maybe the past. We can't hide those. And I think when we come to this realization, we see this passage, I think for some of us it's comforting. For others of us, it's terrifying. He knows everything about us, every thought past, present, future. It's terrifying because you realize you can't pretend any longer. You can't pretend, to, or you can't try to impress God to, in, a, in a way to make him know you or love you more. You can't. He knows every secret, every thought, every word that you have ever, ever spoken, everything that you have done. And this can be, for some of us, dreadfully uncomfortable, which caused the Danish theologian Søren Kierkegaard to actually term this reality, this, this truth, as fear and trembling. To realize that you are naked before God is, causes fear and trembling. That he knows you completely. Yet, for some inexplicable reason, it's also reassuring, too. God, if God knows everything about me and is still willing to call me by my name, it's astonishing. He calls out to me, not to terrify me, not to scare me, but he speaks to me as a friend. He calls me by name. He waves to me as I live on this merry-go-round of life, and he does not leave. He stands, he smiles, and he waves every single time we go around. He knows our faults. He knows our warts. He knows our quirks. He, he knows our weirdness of our personalities. He knows our weaknesses. He knows when we hurt. He knows when we're in trouble, when we struggle. And maybe you've read the Gospels before and you come across Jesus. It's, it's amazing how much he knows about everybody he comes across. For example, in John chapter 1, he comes across a guy like Nathaniel. And he said, there's no one greater in Israel than this, this guy Nathaniel. In fact, he says, in whom there is nothing false. And Nathaniel responds and says, how do you know me? How do you know me? And then later on in John chapter 4, he comes across the Samaritan woman, and in this conversation, he tells her, yeah, you've had five husbands. And she's astonished. How do you know that about me? It keeps happening over and over. He knows everything. Jesus, God in the flesh, knows everything about every person. And then in, in uh, Matthew 26, in this intimate moment that, that the disciples have with Jesus at the Last Supper, he turns to Judas and he tells him, Judas, you're, going to be the, you're, the, you're the one who's going to betray me. He knows. He knows. You've examined my heart and you know everything that I do. What is your reaction to God that knows your every sin and yet loves you unconditionally? 
it should move us to say, wow, God. There's nothing like this. Wow, God. Oh, Lord. You've examined my heart. You know everything about me. And yet you accept me. You accept me where I'm at, but you love me enough to not leave me there. And he will forgive us of our sin if we ask. I want to encourage you, if you haven't done that before, to take that step. When you, to realize that God knows you is to, to, to lift up that sin that God already is aware of, but he wants you to come closer to him. And for you to understand that God um, knows you and loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. And perhaps for you this morning is to take that step where you make Jesus Christ the Savior and leader of your life. I want to encourage you to do that. And not only does God know us from, from a sort of cognitive standpoint, the next fill in the blank is that God knows us intimately. Now, for some of us guys, that's a kind of a weird word, right? You know, you know, some of the guys are like, intimately? Come on. I'm not really into that word. Okay. It's a sort of deep, profound affection. How's that? Uh, it's this relational connection. Okay. And we need that. Studies show that we need that. That if we don't have this, this deep connection, connected bond at an early age, there's been studies done in orphanages and el- elsewhere, it actually causes mental and health problems, destructive problems. If we don't have that at a certain age, we're, we're built for intimacy. We're built for those deep emotional bonds. And, and God knows us. In the Hebrew, that word knows, also me, it's also about this emotional, this deep connected bond as well. It's not just cognitive, logical, two plus two equals four. He knows the color of your hair, okay. But also, he knows you intimately with emotion, okay? Deep emotional bond, and we need this. And this intimacy includes trust, includes openness, sharing. It means for us, self-abandonment and commitment, it's where God has this orientation towards us, where a person's, uh, their thinking and their, their feelings um, are focused on the other. And God does that. He is focused on you. And the question for you this morning is, do you, you have that orientation towards God? As God knows you, as God yadayas you, do you know him? During this six-week series, I want to encourage you to take a step forward in knowing God. And maybe it means reading more. Perhaps it's the four chapters of Job. But reading more about in the Bible, getting to know God, to grow in your knowledge and understanding of God. Perhaps it's being more aware of God being at work in this world where he prompts you and he nudges you and, and, and wants you to kind of step into something. And, and, and you're like white-knuckling it, but you're like, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to try, try it. I'm going to do it because I want to know you better, okay? Or maybe for you to know God is, I think, one of the best ways to grow in your knowledge of God and your faith is to share your faith with somebody who is far away from God, uh, somebody who right now is sleeping in or watching cable TV, okay? Where you walk across the room and, or you have a coffee with, with them and you share your faith. And, and, and yes, you, you, don't, you don't know the right way to do it, but you just kind of share. There's been a difference in my life that I have this relationship with, with Jesus Christ. I, I kind of want to tell you about it. And you just put it in your own words and, and trust God with it. 
If you take that step, I promise you, you will know God more because you will be nervous. You'll need to trust more in God and his help. You'll need to know more of scripture. And through that process, you're going to grow in your knowledge and knowing of God. I want to close with this. So when we come to uh, perhaps sharing our faith, or maybe it's simply knowing more about God, maybe you kind of come up against a, a barrier, and you're like, I, this is about as far as I can go. God, I need help to know you more. And what's, what's great is that God will help us. He promises us in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, he says this. He says, if you need wisdom... Uh, if you need understanding, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. You don't have to earn it. You just simply got to ask, God, I need help. I need to know more about you. I need to know more about what's in front of me here. Maybe it's a decision. Maybe it's a difficulty, a financial challenge right now. Maybe it's something uh, with your family. Maybe it's a pregnancy. Maybe whatever that is, is God, I, I need wisdom. I've come to the end of my rope, and, and I, I've tried to figure it out on my own, and, and I've talked to some friends, but God, I need your wisdom, and God will generously give that to you. Wow, God. What a God we worship. God is never surprised when we have problems. He's never surprised by the difficulties in our lives, but he wants us to know him. So in your teaching notes, it's your turn. It's your turn. Look to the knowing God. Look to the knowing God. The God who knows everything about you and everything that you do ought to lead you to want to know him more. Let's pray. Magnificent God, we stand in awe. We're so moved by technology. We're, moved, we're so moved by uh, landscapes, like the Grand Canyon or perhaps the mountains in Colorado. Uh, maybe it's the lakes up north. And, and those are beautiful things that you have created, God. But Lord, let us cast our eyes on you. There's nothing like you. And we come to realize just how much you know us. It's amazing. You know everything about us. We can't hide from you. We can't take a compartment in our lives and put it in a closet or something like that. God, you know everything about us. And yet, you love us unconditionally. You stand there every day of our lives and you wave to us on this merry-go-round of life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.